0: How beautiful a song of unity in worship of the one true Lord. Psalm 133. How good, how beautiful, how pleasant it is when brethren, brothers and sisters in Christ, dwell together in unity. It's like the anointing oil. It's like the anointing of the Holy Spirit. There God commands the blessing. A commanded blessing is on a people of unity. And everlasting eternal life. Life forevermore. True life is present when a people are in unity. And how beautiful your worship is. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. That declare to the nations our God reigns. I don't care what you see on the news. Our God reigns. The news isn't news. There's only one good news. It's the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the gospel that we go all in for. It's the gospel we bet it all on. And it may become the gospel you and I die for. But if I'm going to die, I might as well die in Christ. I have already been crucified with Christ. And it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in this body, in this world, I do not live by works. I do not live by self. I live by the faith of the Son of God. Who loved me and gave himself for me. It's a good day. Because I have no idea how much darker it's going to get. But however dark it gets, it just makes the light shine brighter. And John tells us the light of the glory of God is revealed in the face of the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know how much of my sermon I should go into. My, just, my heart is over, there's a a psalm that says, my heart overflows with a pleasing theme. Psalm 72, I believe. I just don't let the news control the word of God. So, I ain't gonna let no news tell us what gospel we preach, what word we minister. The one solution Jesus has after his finished work To bring about that finished work, there is an ongoing mission, and he chooses a singular vessel to carry that mission forward. The Spirit filled, Spirit empowered church. And the church should not be reactive. but spirit-filled, quick to listen, slow to speak, and very slow to get angry. For the wrath of men, I'm speaking King James, you can tell where where I memorized all this. My dad taught us in King James, so. For the wrath of men worketh not the righteousness of God. The wrath of men only brings more wrath. And we have, there are plenty of things to be angry about, but let's not fool ourselves to think that every time we get angry, we are angry for righteousness, a righteous anger. Usually, we are in self-righteous anger. There are, there are problems in the world. There's no mistake about that. And there is much evil. And there is one vessel that is to bring about the goodness of God. It is followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. The, his body. How does Jesus act and work in this world through His body? Who is His body? His spirit-filled, spirit-empowered church. And He entrusted that to us. I do got a sermon to preach, and I, it's 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 relevant. I want to. We're in a. Just want to be in the frame of mind. You can go to Matthew 11. I need to quickly review, um, because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap up talking about work. But um, three weeks I laid a lot of groundwork to try to give you some practical things today, but I want us to see our place in God's grand story of salvation. Uh, that God is present and at work. We just have to have eyes to see it. And we don't see it by just keeping up with the latest news or trends or whatever. We see it by immersing ourselves in the scriptures and letting our eyes be renewed to see clearly what God is saying and doing. Um, And the story we have to see, we need to see it fresh. And when it relates to our work, because there's much work to be done in Christ. Um, but laying the groundwork at the beginning, that work is part of what it means to be made in the image of God, that God worked. And Genesis 1 is the telling of what is God's work. And that design for work is to go into the wild wastelands of the world and turn it into order and beauty. And my goodness is our world full of a wild wasteland. <laughs> And there is work to do to go into the wild waste and not to be outraged, but to bring order and goodness and beauty in the midst of the chaos. This so was designed for work is to go into the wild wastelands and to bring order and beauty and he commissions humans to do the same. And God did not work for his own good, or for his own sake his work was for humans to flourish and so his vision of work is not just for mere survival but for sharing that our work means something beyond ourselves but for others and for God's world and to do this if god is going to commission his image-bearing creatures to do that he has to give them freedom it gives them it gives us the freedom and dignity of a choice. How are we going to do this? How are we going to go bring about uh, this order and, and beauty? Are we going to do it with our own wisdom and our own discernment of what's good and bad? Or are we going to seize that definition for ourselves? Our work requires a significant amount of moral judgment, deciding what is good and what is not good. And we need wisdom for that kind of judgment. And mankind gets that choice. Do we define good and bad for ourselves and do what we think is good? Or do we trust the giver of life to be the one who decides what is good and not good? Mankind completely and utterly fails that test and unleashes sin and death into God's world, unleashes hell uh, into the world. And there will be a time where God will get I'm going to say this very carefully. There will be a time in the end where God will get the hell out of his world. Not by destroying the world, but by purifying and cleansing it of the hell that's been unleashed on it. Uh, But for now, we humans... Tend to make a mess out of this world and define good and bad for ourselves and what we see right now and clashing of worldviews and agendas. There's a lot of people talking about what needs to be done but defining good on our own terms. What's good for me and my tribe doesn't matter what's good for you and your tribe. It's only what's good for me and my tribe. It's clashing. That's sin. That's sin. And so... We need that wisdom from God to know how to bring about his goodness into this world of wild and waste, tohu vohu, chaos. Um, But the environment of our work is made more difficult by sin, as we saw in Genesis 3, that yes, we're commissioned and called and commanded to, that was cool, that was three C's. Uh, Commission, I don't even know what I said, but that was really good. Obviously, I got a lot of practice as a preacher. (laughs) Uh, Commission called commanded. There we go. That's good. Write that down. Tweet that. Hit my focus. Uh, Work, um, but the environment is made more difficult. By the sweat of your brow, you will bring forth your food from the earth. Uh, And so labor turns to toil. That we're commanded to work, but that work is now harder. Harder. Than it God intended it to be, but it's still work and it's still good. It's still God uh, commissioning us for work, and so we have to know what does it look like to be in this environment of sin, uh, and yet bring God's work into it. And so we saw last time in Colossians three that we really we work for Jesus. Um, Jesus is our leader, our boss, our manager, our the one in charge. We work for Jesus and we work for his inheritance, the inheritance that he has for us, which is a way of saying, moving his new creation agenda forward where you look at the end of the story and God is making all things new. He's not making all new things, he's making all things new. At the end of Revelation 21, you see the kings and, and uh, the, the people, it says they're bringing their honor and glory into the city of God, uh, into the place where, where there is no need for lamps or lights because God is her light. And, and there is no temple because the whole world is God's temple and his presence. He is with his people uh, and her gates will never be shut. And, we, and it says the kings and people bring their honor and glory into that city. What is that? What does it mean to bring their honor and glory? It means that taking the fruit of our labors and saying we give it to God and his, his work. And so we work for Jesus, we work for that inheritance, we see that at the end, whenever that is, at the end, when God transforms the whole world and we see the victory of resurrection, not just Jesus' resurrection, but what God did for Jesus on Easter morning, he does for all of those who are in Christ and for his whole world. Um, in the end, when that happens, we receive the victory. First Corinthians fifteen fifty seven. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And if that's where this whole thing is heading, despite the darkness we see in the present, despite the injustice and evil we see in the present, despite what we see in the chaos in the streets, despite all that, in the end, God makes all things right. He brings justice to his world and brings uh, salvation to his whole world. And when that happens, we who've been in the middle of all of this sin and death and chaos and darkness, in the end, when we receive that victory, it's so overwhelming that we even taunt death, seeing that death really didn't win anything. And so what do we do now if that's where we're headed Paul says, 1 Corinthians 15, 58, is not the end of that chapter. Verse 58 says, therefore, because of that victory that we will receive, be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Well, what's the work of the Lord? It's not just getting people saved and filled with the Spirit. It's not just church work or non-profit work. If you tie that with Colossians 3, it's any work we do as Jesus, uh, under Jesus as our leader. That working for the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain. What you do matters. Your work matters. Not just spiritual work. Not just devotional work. Not just nonprofit work. Not just missional work. Any work done for Jesus is not in vain. It makes it passed into resurrection and new creation. And so, zooming that in now. How do we then see our lives, our work, as being for Jesus? How do we filter that into a scriptural understanding to see, does, does, your, does your day job actually line up with scripture? How do you get your day job to line up with scripture to make sure that what, you're doing, what you are doing as work is actually moving that new creation kingdom agenda forward as working for Jesus? The first, you ha- the first thing you have to see and know is that as disciples of the Lord Jesus, our entire lives, especially our work, has Jesus at the center. Everything is about Jesus for our lives. Jesus is not a side hustle. He's not a side project. He's not a hobby. He's not what we have for extra spiritual credit. He is everything. The center of everything. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 to 30 a very layered set of verses, but just even seeing from the beginning the way he uses his words, he says, come to me, all you who labor. He recognizes that that life is difficult and that our work is crowded and clouded by sin. He says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. I'll give you a new perspective on how to approach that labor. Learn from me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, or humble, meek and humble, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. And so Jesus sees himself as the answer, and I agree with him. Whatever it is that is our struggle, our pain, our trial, our weightiness, Jesus is the center. So, for the disciple of the Lord Jesus, it is all about Jesus. He is the center of everything, and we have to see everything through that lens. And so, our work or ourselves are not at the center. Our life, our work is not the center of our existence. Jesus is. But work and labor and life does constitute part of the perimeter, part of the circumference of our life. It is a part of our life, but with Jesus at the center. Because in our world of self-centeredness, we have kind of two extremes from that one uh, set of ideas. In it, Seeing work through the lens of self-centeredness, on the one extreme, you have the workaholic that if I, if I could just, if I could work harder, I'll get more. And so I want more, so I work harder or more to get that more, to please my own desires, to please my own needs, my wants, my needs, my desires. So I work to fill those needs, to fill those desires. That's the one extreme of the workaholic. The other extreme is the sluggard, where I work as little as possible so that I can be as free as possible. And those stem from the same mindset, a self-centeredness. And so... We don't have just those two options to choose from. There is a Christ-centered option on how we see our work. So I'm going to give you five criteria. And I, I borrowed a little bit of this list uh, from in, in research and studying. Um, but five, five criteria, just questions to ask that you can ask about your work. Uh, and then filter it through the lens of scripture to see can I take my work and approach it as a disciple of the Lord Jesus, working for Jesus, moving His agenda forward—not about you or me, but His agenda forward. The first question uh, to ask is: Does it your job provide? Does it provide? This is going to be super. I, I think it's going to be super simple. I mean, I'm sure I'll hear if it's not, but. This is going to be very simple just to start thinking about your work and your labor. Um, even some of the grave injustices we see and, and some of the chaos we're seeing, there's still a work that needs to be done to solve these societal issues. Does it provide? 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. This speaks to the necessity of our work, that our work is needed. Second Thessalonians 3. This is amazing. Verse 10 to 12. For even when we, this is Paul and his uh, posse, were with you, we would give you this command. So whatever he's about to say is a command. It's not a suggestion. It's not a, a, an extra set of teaching. It's a command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear this shocking news that some of you are walking in idleness. Now this is in in Thessalonica. Uh, Paul, so that he didn't require or need the church to care for his needs, he worked a day job as a tent maker to provide for himself. And he's like, you're telling me That there's some people walking in idleness, not busy at work, but just busybodies. (laughs) Now, such persons we not condemn, but we do command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and earn their own living. Stop freeloading. So Paul is, is commanding the people of the church to work in such a way that it provides. It provides for your needs and those who are under your uh, responsibility. Uh, he, he even goes so far as to say if they're not willing to work, they don't even need to eat. Now he's not referring here to people who are not able to work. There are people who are mentally and physically not able to work. That is not what he's referring to here. He's saying those who are able-minded and able-bodied and are not willing to work, they should not reap the fruits of other people's labor. They need to work and keep their mouth shut and provide for their own living. And as, as a faith community... We're called to work and provide in such a way that what we, an abundance of our labor does provide for people who are not able or, or capable of working. Not necessarily government programs. The people of faith need to step up. That we do have a responsibility, namely widows. That one is explicitly mentioned many times in the New Testament. Why? Because, because widows, especially in that day, struggle to provide for their own needs. And so there's something that they can do to contribute, but it's the responsibility of the community of faith to be generous. And remember, work is not just for survival, but for sharing. Yeah. And to contribute to caring for people who are not able to work. But if someone who is able to work in mind and body, but is not willing to, should not reap the fruits of other people's labor don't freeload. I'm going to move a lot quicker than, if I'm going to make you mad, I might as well do it in a hurry. (laughs) 1 Thessalonians 4, 11 and 12. Make it your goal to live a quiet life, minding your own business and working with your hands, just as we instructed you before. In a time and age of social media and technology, we are trying to make it our aim in life to be loud about our opinions in life. To not hide anything because it is a unquestionable value to be authentic, to be real. And basically just vomit your life for everybody to see and hear. And... Just because something is trending, now you have to say something. And there are plenty of things we need to speak up for. Proverbs 31 says we are supposed to speak for those who cannot speak for themselves. But there are far more instructions that say we need to listen more than we speak. Be quick to listen, James chapter one, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God Proverbs uh, I think it's, it's either 13 or 18 it says he who speaks without first understanding is both stupid and shameful and we think we have to force our way of the political system we've got to fight for change and the apostolic voice that we hear in scripture, both Peter and Paul says, hey, listen, you need to pray for the emperor. Which emperor? The one who would later murder them. That's injustice, right? And what does he say? Pray for them. Why? This is First Timothy 2. Paul says, pray for the emperor, pray for those in authority and government officials so that we can live a quiet life. Because if we, if we get on the radar, we're going to die sooner. <laughs> so we're going to stay under the radar. And people want to influence. If pastors in China gain public influence, they're more likely to die. So staying under the radar is very important. And Paul says, make it your aim to not make a big deal about yourself. You're not that important. You're important to God, and your work is important, but just because you feel unimportant doesn't mean you broadcast your whole life onto the world stage so that you can start feeling important because of the attention you get. I said I would hurry. Yeah. Just keep moving, Jacob. Make it your aim in life to live a quiet life and mind your own business and work with your hands. Get to work. And I'm, I really am. I'm, I'm, I'm really trying to understand uh, our kind of age in a, you know, we have the industrial revolution and then we have a technological and information revolution where now a lot of work is knowledge work and I'm trying to see the correlations uh, here and sometimes those correlations do break down that it's important as human beings we are made from the earth we need to get our hands dirty our children need to get in the dirt we need to touch earth we lose a sense of our humanity when we're always on concrete and indoors, uh, but he says, live, "Make it your goal in life to just, just don't make a big deal about yourself. Like live a quiet life, trusting that it is God who notices your life and rewards you, not your sphere, your public. And mind your own business. Don't be a busybody. It's not your job to meddle in other people's business." And work with your hands. Just as we instructed you before. Then people who are not believers will respect the way you live. I want, I want influence in unbelievers' lives, right? So do you, right? Do we do that just simply by our words? No, because honestly, we really mess those up a lot. Like, we're not incredibly articulate and quick on our feet and mouth in a world of outrage and everybody has to say something about everything all the time. But the way we earn the respect of unbelievers is that we live a certain way. And a lot of times that way is is very quiet. Jesus, very quiet, never in a hurry. There's a book by a, uh, uh, I think he's Japanese. Someone in the Far East wrote a book entitled the three mile an hour God. Think about what age Jesus came into and shows that his entire life, except for we have one story of him riding a donkey for a short period of time, walked everywhere. Never said Jesus ran. That dude was never in a hurry. His friends were dying and he's like, we'll get there when we get there. And he speaks constantly about being quiet, that the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. It's tiny and you can't really see it. It's really small, but when planted, it becomes a big shrub. That the kingdom of God is like a, a little, a little tiny bit of leaven, that it's, it's even hidden, but once it's hidden, it leavens the whole loaf. then people who are not believers will respect the way you live and you'll not need to depend on others. Because when you're living, now there are moments and seasons where you may need to depend on others for a short period of time. And that's, that's, that's not the same thing. But in the long run, if you live to depend on others, you are not able to be generous to others. Ultimately, we're called to be a generous people, right? We don't live for ourselves. We live for others and to be able to be generous. And if you're always in need, always, again, there are moments and seasons where it's, that's fine, it's acceptable. It's part of living in a broken world where you might be in between jobs and there's a little bit of a struggle or we have a downturn in economy, kind of like right now. And there's times where where we do have to depend on others, but as long as you live that way, you're unable to actually be generous to others. So part of God's blessing in our life is the ability to provide. Part of his provision is providing us with the capability to provide for ourselves. Not detached from him or separate from him. You think about just the story of Noah. Noah. God comes in and says, I will save you. I'm gonna, the, the world has earned its judgment, and I'm going to save you. Now you go build a boat. And whatever gopher wood is, we, we don't really know. He, sa- he spends a hundred years building an up. God did not plop an ark down there and say, I'm going to save you. Here you go. He says, I'm going to save you. Go to work. For a hundred years. And God saved him. And his family through all of that. So much of God's provision in your life. Is providing you the ability and the opportunity. To earn a living. And to provide for those. For yourself. For those under your care. And for others. Oh man. That was just number one. We're going to move really fast. And the other ones. Uh number 2, is it honest? This is the selection of your work. You know, what does God want us to do for work? Something. Anything that is honest. Ephesians 4:28. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing what kind of work? Well, what kind of work is that? I don't know. Whatever he can do that's honest. So not, (laughs) sorry. (laughs) Not political work. That's what I wanted to say. (laughs) Politics, where we elect people who know how to steal things from us. I think it's somewhere in there (laughs) doing honest work with his own hands so that he may what have something to share why because because I'm not I'm not working and living for myself I'm working and living so that I, I have what I need, what the people under my care, in my case, I have children at home, a wife, that I, have, I have what I can provide and contribute for them, but, but also have more than enough so that I can give, so that I can share, so that I can give to people who need it, so that, so that when someone comes into my life that has a need, I actually have something that says, you know what, I, I have something for that. I can help you with that. I get that there's, there's much of our economy and, and business that you don't have decision-making power over. Uh, so let me just ask these two clarifying questions very quickly. Yeah, yeah, really quickly, goodness. Is what I'm doing for work, am I doing it to the best of my ability? What is honest work? Well, if, if my work is not sin, which is question number two, is what I'm doing worth doing? Is it sin? Well, if it's sin, trust God for another job. Okay? Um, but if it's not sin, what is honest work? Doing it to the best of your ability. Yeah, but it's not, it's not my real work. It's not my real passion. It's not my dream job. Oh, man, get a wake-up call. Your dream job doesn't exist. Because even your dream job is going to have its moments where it just stinks. It's just terrible. I don't know how many of you are frontline employees, employees that have direct contact with your customers. That's no one's dream job. (laughs) Maybe I'm just speaking for myself. (laughs) If If you're in customer service, I don't know whose dream job that is, but there, someone is gifted and anointed for that. God bless you. But whatever you're doing, are you doing it to the best of your ability? As Luke 16 verse 10 says, one who is faithful in the little things, the tiny little things, the things that seem menial and boring and unimportant. But those that are faithful in those little things, you know what, they'll be faithful in much. But if you're dishonest, in the little things the things that seem like menial tasks the things that your manager is really not looking over or holding you accountable for dishonesty in those little things are going to turn into dishonesty in the big things when big corporations make these massive mistakes do you think that that just happened accidentally and in a moment no it was a lifetime or many years of dis- tiny little dishonest things that end up being dishonesty in big things and so whatever you are doing, you can do it to the best of your ability. That's honesty. Even if it's boring, even if it's menial. There's a tiny little book written about a monk from a few hundred years ago entitled The Practice of the Presence of God. It, was, it says it's by Brother Lawrence, but it's more about Brother Lawrence. And this little monk was crippled in one leg and was a dishwasher. When he got a job promotion, he was in the shoe repair department. This was a couple hundred years ago. And this book is written in such a way to show how Brother Lawrence saw every tiny little task as being important in love of God. I can love God and be intimate and in fellowship with God in every tiny little thing, including washing dishes. Before there was a dishwasher, he was the dishwasher. Shoe repair. And, it's, and, and this tiny little quiet work by what we would consider a nobody is influencing people hundreds of years ago. That's influence. Influencers today are paid marketers. You want influence? Live well. Live honestly. Infuse every tiny little task, whatever it is, With the love of God and for God's glory. With patience and care, with love for people. And that is influence. At least in God's scope. And I would choose God's kind of perspective more than any other perspective. So are you doing whatever you're doing to the best of your ability? I have to remember that every time I go to change my son's poopy diaper. Doing it for the love of God. <laughs> I had one of those moments. Was it yesterday or the day before? Where Hannah's like, hey, I need you to uh, put him down for his nap. Fine, I can do that. And I pick him up. Something smells. Oh, man. And I went towards her and she's like, you ain't giving him to me. <laughs> <sighs> All right. Number three, does it contribute? Oof, we gotta move faster. Does it contribute? This speaks to the motivation of your work. 1 Corinthians 10, 23 and 24. Uh, Paul is like uh, quoting people who are kind of making an excuse for grace. All things are lawful. And he says, yeah, but not all things are helpful. Well, all things are lawful. He says, mm, yeah, but not all things build up. So let no one seek his own good. But the good of his neighbor. I don't live just to provide for my own good. I don't make decisions about what I can and can't do. Based on what's just good for me. I taught a little bit of this during uh, the COVID. And we're all kind of locked down. And discussions about like masks. And social distancing and stuff. And we were making Tangential issues, a big issue, when the big issue is can I think about more than just myself and what I want and what I think? Can I actually love the people around me who might be less mature than me? Because I don't just live for my own good and what's good for me. Or now what we have is a very extreme form of tribalism what's good for me and my tribe. And I'm gonna force that on you. I'm gonna police it. I'm gonna shove it down your throat. What's good for me and my tribe? But what's good for my neighbor, the people who don't love me and who are probably not going to like me? Can I make decisions about my life and work loving those people who may never reciprocate? you want to follow Jesus? It's no vacation. It's serious work. And we think about our jobs and our vocation. Can we think about our customers in a way that they may never never actually provide like high sales, but can I love my neighbor because that's what Jesus would do? And so can I, can I, does my work contribute to more than just me? Can it contribute to the world? Can it contribute to people around me? And as we, as we see the navigation of people really trying to, there are a number of people trying to resolve big issues. And I, 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 I agree that some issues in our world are big. And they are complex And there is evil in this world. But whoever has ears to hear, you've got to hear. You've got to hear what the Spirit is saying. Not what narrative pushing is saying. You've got to listen well. And you've got to see that our lives can contribute. And not just because we can say certain things. Or join in certain trends. But we can actually live in such a way sacrificially, to love our neighbor, to love people, to love people who do not look like you or act like you. And as a church, we've given our whole history to, to, to not seeing people through the lens of their sin, but to see people as those who Christ died for, who loves and we are we in Christ are a new humanity. And so if we're not looking at people through the lens of their sin and it's not loving your neighbor to look at them or to see them through the lens of their sin, then it's also not love of neighbor to look at people through the lens of their skin. But as as those whom Christ has died for and shed his blood for. And that in Christ Our skin pigment is irrelevant. A new humanity is not divided by skin color or cultural divisions or ethnicity or socioeconomic boundaries. The new humanity is in Christ that we all are in desperate need of Jesus and in Christ now we are a new humanity that actually lives for peace and reconciliation and justice but with Jesus at the center, not a political agenda at the center. Number four, is it thoughtful? And what I mean by that is, are you able to think through the lens of the kingdom of God in that work? Romans 12, 2 says, Don't be conformed to this world, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What does the world have to say about work? We just kind of go the opposite way (laughs) that work is very self centered, it's tribal. It's, it's greedy. And so we need to be able to think about our work through the lens of the kingdom. And that to, we are a, able, if, if your work is kind of mindless, then can you devote your mind to the things of God? So if your job makes it to where you're alone and uh it it's some kind of labor where you're by yourself say it's a it's a type of manual labor that doesn't require a lot of thought especially if you're a, a pro and you've done this kind of work repeatedly and you know what you're doing you don't have to think much about it well then can you infuse Christ in the middle of that listen to podcasts that glorify Jesus listen to worship music that get your mind and attention set to Jesus Is your work thoughtful? And can you take the things that God has anointed your mind with and not just keep it in your mind, but bring it into manifestation? That requires more clarification than I have time to give. Um, But let me me drill it down a little bit more with this. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 17 and 18. Beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth you shall remember the lord your god for it is he who gives you power to get wealth for what purpose that he may confirm his covenant that we, we have the power to gain wealth if i if i'm thinking about my job in such a way to see that it is God's work that I'm doing and I'm God's work that I'm bringing, then it is him who empowers me to get this wealth and this wealth is not for me. It's to establish his covenant in this world. That we, we live beyond our own needs and desires and wants. This is where things like tithing comes in. Tithing is not about paying God off his required 10%, like he's some mafia boss. But I, I, I take 10% because I recognize 100% belongs to God. And he has, he has commissioned me in freedom and dignity with choices on how to handle this wealth. And even if you, even if you do not have a very high-paying job, the fact that you have a job puts you in a very high tier in the global economy, that I have the power to gain this wealth, that it is God who gives this to me. And so now I take a portion and 10% is just where we get started. And we say, God, this belongs to you. And I give this to you so that the 100% is sanctified. And recognizing that it is God who gives me this power to gain this wealth. Is it thoughtful? Can you think about it? And the last thing that I'm going to have to say quickly. Number five. Is it your work balanced with rest? We have started in, in the world of technology. We have, be, we, have, we have believed this lie that we can live without limits. I in doing some research a while ago, and I've got to actually get all the details of it, uh, I think it, I think it was a presentation to either Congress or a presentation at the World Fair that were things like uh, dishwashers and uh, washing machines, things like that, were pieces of technology being introduced. And the biggest concern, this was like the, 50s and 60s, kind of right after World War II where uh, you have like a baby boomer generation and then the economy kind of kicked back in. Uh, and the biggest concern is what will people do with all their leisure time? <laughs> and every new piece of technology that comes into this world, it's, it's selling you A lie that says this will save your time. And yet our technology has consumed our lives. And we've begun to live a lie that we can live without limits. You have limits. Your body has limits. Your mind has limits. It might be amazing, but it is limited. Exodus 20, God gives some structure to the lives of the Hebrews he says, verse, verse eight, this is the fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth The sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. This command is not just to take a day off, but to sanctify a day of rest for six days of work. Look at the commandment uh, that's the slide before. Remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy six days you shall work the commandment is not just remember the sabbath keep it holy the commandment is you work six days and you sanctify a holy day of rest because seven days of unlimited labor is a slave life it's the slavery they were liberated from their whole lives was work 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 make bricks make bricks make bricks And he puts structure in the way they see time, the way they see work, the way they see labor, the way they see freedom. And part of that structure is that work matters and it is a way to express worship to God and fulfilling his image in our life. But you cannot do that without limits. And so a day is sanctified, made holy, not just for for rest in the sense of leisure, leisure, or vacation though those things are important and matter there's more going on than just a day off it's it's taking a day for restful communion with our maker recognizing that our identity is not just our work but in children of the most but in being children of the most high who it is God who cares for us and takes care of us That I can trust him, that I am not totally in control of my life. I can trust my creator, my maker, and my savior to provide for me by not always having to work, 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 work. But by making one day holy, it makes all seven days holy. By being able to sanctify time in restful communion with our creator and savior and provider, it sanctifies the other six days so that we are working from rest, not working for rest. Living for the weekend is not a biblical perspective. And many of us, we put so much time and effort and energy into our work that we sort of crash land into our day off. Nobody else? I ne- About once a month, I need a pajama day. I just, I, do, I don't, I don't want to go anywhere. I don't want to talk to anybody except my wife and my kids. But outside of that, I just, if I don't have to. Uh, yeah, okay, so that, that, that is a part of it. And I hate that we've sort of, um, because we, we sort of misread Jesus and his uh, Sabbath the way he kind of disrupted Sabbath practices, we sort of throw the baby out with the bathwater. And I've really tried to spend a lot of time learning, growing in my understanding of Sabbath, Sabbath as a practice, Sabbath as a principle, but then Sabbath as a person. Do you see that three piece? You can do that. You can do that too. Uh, but 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 Jesus did not abolish the sabbath in the way we think he established the dead systems of religion that made our that made us believe a lie that we have to work our way into god's approval and there is still value in understanding sabbath and i cannot teach that value i'm still in the process of learning I'm, I'm overcoming a lot of mindsets that I had about it and I, I don't feel like I can communicate or teach anything I haven't lived long enough to feel like I have some credibility to say it and I'm, I'm still living into that reality a little bit. Um, And so really the the principle I want to establish now is not trying to teach you that you take Saturdays off or is Saturday the Sabbath versus Sunday or the Sunday being a Sabbath and that is it this day a week and what is forbidden or what's allowed on the Sabbath. That's missing the point entirely. The point here with our work is that you are not the energizer bunny. You cannot keep going and going and going and not pay the bill of your expenses. Eventually, you will expend all of your resources and be unable to pay the bill. And stress and overwork is costing people their health, their sanity, and it's making people crazy. But it is, in that law, a six to one ratio. It's not a one to six ratio. The sluggard's like, oh, man. Yeah, but does that mean you have to work six days in your job? Well, if we're not legalistic about anything else, why would I be legalistic about that? There's plenty of work you do that is not paid work. You don't get paid for your own lawn care. Right? Right? I mean, if if that's your job, like you do that for other people, like I I ha- hate 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 yard work. I hate it. I hate it. It is not restful in the least bit. I May mean, I have friends, my wife included. It's like, oh yeah, it's so restful. She put on a you know podcast or worship music. I'm like, no, no, it is not restful, not in the least bit. I hate it. And I've, I just got enough HOA warnings <laughs> that I realized I got to do it. But that is not a Sabbath practice for me. You know, people sometimes look at gardening as a, like, that's very restful. I think you're crazy or you're just really saved. It's like you're really going back to the Garden of Eden. and You see that as restful because it ain't restful. But none of this, none of these questions matter if we don't see Jesus at the center. And we don't see Jesus as the one who both is perfect work and perfect rest. That Jesus is our Sabbath rest, that I'm not trying to work for God in the sense of trying to pay a bill I could never pay that God's gonna, you know, pull on me. That... Jesus, Jesus said, John uh, John 5, 17, on the Sabbath, my father is working, and so I'm working. And we have to see that in our our world of chaos and brokenness and worldview clashes and, and hidden agendas and explicit agendas and trends and cliche, all that stuff that just seems to be colliding all on the news right now, that our Father is working. Jesus is working. And because of his work and his ongoing work in and through us, now, we actually can be part of a solution to this, not by jumping on certain trends or agendas, but by simply being faithful to Jesus and recognizing our quiet lives do have influence. It might not look like what everybody else's influence is, but at some level, you and I have to recognize we don't live for the praises or attention of men. The same Matthew 11 verses, Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 to 30, but in the Message Bible, he says, are you tired? Are you worn out? I'll just be honest with you. Like, I'm kind of worn out by news cycles. And I hate that real problems and real evil and real injustice is getting lost by all the agendas and, and childlike arguing. It's, I hate it because our world has real problems. I, I can't, you can't pretend like there's no real problem. Or like there's no real prejudices in the world? Yeah, because the human heart is broken and evil. And yes, that is a problem. And there's a hundred thousand more problems in this world that are not getting as much news as as one or two issues are, but they're still nonetheless out there. And I'm I'm kinda tired and worn out by it. And and real real solutions are getting lost in the midst of the chaos and the fighting are you tired are you worn out burned out by religion religion politics it cannot solve these problems it just can't it has no power because it has no power over the human heart religion and politics has no power over the human heart and we need a new heart and so, what does Jesus say? You you're burned out by all this? Me too. Come to me. Come to me. Get away with me. And, I'll, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. So we can take our, our, our lives. Every part of our lives, including our work, and work with Jesus, not just for Him, but with Him. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. That's what we're after in Christ. And we can't do it other than live surrendered to Jesus. We're just going to get burned out. Either by ignoring problems or trying to solve them apart from Christ. And Jesus repeatedly just says, come to me. Come to me. Whether that's the first time we hear Jesus' invitation or the 100,000th time, we have to come to Jesus. He is the one and only hope for our world and the one and only hope for us. And as a church, that's what we're gonna, that's where we, that's where we put our flag is in Jesus. That's where we, we, we mark territory to say, this belongs to Jesus, this belongs to Jesus. And when we gather and worship and praise and prayer, it's not pretense. It's because we need transformed. Because we cannot bring transformation into our world if we are not first transformed. And Jesus is the one who transforms us. So today, I'm just gonna keep it simple. I'm gonna pray for you. And then when you are dismissed, you're never dismissed just at a conclusion of a service. You are commissioned and released as missionaries to your world. You always need to see your exit from a gathering always as a commissioning.